This is Writing Lessons, and I'm your host, Silas House. In each episode of Writing Lessons, we look at a different topic about creative writing. Today, we're talking about characterization. Our guest for this episode is David Arnold, the New York Times and USA Today best-selling author of Mosquito Land, The Electric Kingdom, Kids of Appetite, The Strange Fascinations of Noah Hypnotic, and most recently, I Loved You in Another Life. He has won the Southern Book Prize and the Great Lakes Book Award, among other honors. His books have been translated into over a dozen languages. David Arnold lives in Lexington, Kentucky, with his wife and son. So, David, the main reason I wanted you to come on the show is because I love your characters so much. They are like real people to me, and they really stick with me. As I'm reading the book, I'm witnessing you create the character. And then when I finish the book, they stay with me. I think that's one of the best things about writing, about books. And I mean, when I think of my favorite books, I always think of my favorite characters. I can't really separate the two. So what's the most important, how do you do that? (laughs) What's the most important element of creating a character for you? Well, first of all, thank you. That means, I can't think of a higher honor, actually, (laughs) um, because I'm a character first reader. Mm-hmm. So being complimented for character is the highest honor in terms of, you know, writing. And, um, yeah, I mean, I, it's interesting that, you know, when you said we were going to talk about characters, I was like, well, this episode, this, this discussion would be completely different if we'd had it six months ago hmm. or even a year ago. Like how I feel about writing changes as I write and it changes through the years and I've I've been in discussions or on panels or whatever where someone will say, "Hey, you said this in an interview once," and I'm like, "Did I? Did <laughs> I say that?" Yeah. Because <laughs> um, it just changes so frequently. And mm. you know, you and I actually were just discussing about um, anytime anybody says, "This is how you do it," I'm immediately suspicious. Right. Because I feel like it's different for everyone and what works for some people aren't going to work for others. So I feel like right at the top, you know, we can acknowledge mm-hmm. like we're speaking from our own experience here. But um, this is what helps us and hopefully it'll help you. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. There's no there's no one size fits all for a person. But even with with within each writer, there's no one size fits all because I find each each time I approach a book, it changes. It's mm-hmm. it's different for the book I'm working on right now like night and day different compared to the way it was, you know, three books ago. So, but I do, I mean, as a care, I mean, as a character first reader, that is the most important thing to me. And I end up finding in my early drafts and I'm in one right now. And it is true. The first chapter, almost nothing happens because I'm so involved and intensely focused on how do I get this character across to the reader to the point of, of, neglecting everything else and it's you know it's just become part of my process now i feel like and Mm -hmm. i know i know that eventually i'm gonna have to go back and tailor that a little bit more and inject something Mm -hmm. else it can't just be this quirky character and but it's just it's the most important thing to me and so i i end up focusing probably an unfair amount of time on it on the front end right is that true of you as well yeah yeah i was gonna say i bet that's true of your work as well I usually come up with a premise for a novel, and then I think about who the lead character would be that best serves that premise. And then I spend a long time just 
get to know that character, Mm -hmm. you know, just thinking about who they are. And then the next step for me is when I figure out who they are, I walk through the world, looking at the world through their point of view, through their eyes. My main trick is that I, I have to know their name. I have to know a defining trait and I have to know their favorite song. So when I say defining trait, it's like, if I know that they're deeply grief-stricken, I know a whole lot about them. Right. If I know they're really stingy, I know a whole lot about them. You know, one thing can has these ripples that keeps building. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, if I know their favorite song, I just know so much about the personality and what they care about and things like that. So do you have tricks like that? Yeah, I mean... <laughs> Sometimes it, it can be a crutch, but sometimes it's helpful to give them a thing, um, like an item or something, some symbol or token of their life that has been meaningful. I'm with mm. you with the name. Mm-hmm. I, I, I have, I'm nowhere until I have a Me name, too, yeah. which is so odd. Like, why would that matter? But it does. Right. The name just tells you so much about a character, I feel like. And then for me, I also, I focus, I feel like probably the most effective characters that I've read, the ones that really stick with me, the common denominator is that they are both specific and surprising. Mm-hmm. So they're, they're, there's no one else like this person. You know, you read Confederacy of Dunces, and mm-hmm. he, there's no right. one else like Ignatius J. Riley. Yeah. And, you know, that's just one of... <laughs> that's the first example I went to, but there's so many where it's just, what a specific character. And... But it's also like I'm I'm the the story I'm working on right now. There is like a twelve year old and an adult, and the adult has certain expectations when he comes into the orbit of this twelve year old about what it's going to be like to to spend time with this twelve year old who mm-hmm. he barely knows. Right. And I I want to run from all of the things that you would expect a twelve year old to say and do. I feel like that kind of surprising right. elements yes. are what make you think, oh, so like not only does she, so she doesn't have a phone, but she doesn't want a phone, and here's why. So like you know you would expect, oh, it's unfair because that's maybe that's not a great example, but it's a more recent. It was the thing I was writing today where I was like, my instinct is to do this, so let exactly. me do this other thing because it's surprising, and, yep. and how specific can I be so that this character can really kind of stand out that way? Yes. I, I tell my students all the time, you know, think about the unexpected. What is the, what's the thing that nobody's expected? And I, I think a lot about that with language, too. Sure. Um, but also, yeah, just the reaction and things like that. Yeah, I mean, the goal you, I've heard, I've heard frequently in terms of plot, uh, surprising but inevitable. You should the the end result of the story was. You're shocked, but when you think about it, of course that's how it should have gone. Right. And I feel like the same is true of character. It should, a character should be should feel surprising, but then also inevitable once you get to know them and live in their shoes. Of course they respond yes. these ways and act these ways. When I'm working with new writers and I tell them to create a character, the main thing they want to focus on is hair color, eye color, <laughs> clothing. Because we think of those things as being specific, but actually they're not specific at all, right? right? I mean, you know, you're sitting in front of me, you you have dark hair and brown eyes. So do hundreds of millions of people in the world, right? right? So right. that doesn't tell anybody much about you. 
what tells people much more about a character is, or a person is, you know, they're a really sweet person who, who loves E.T. Mm, you right, know, I right. mean, some a detail like that, right, yep. tells you something about their heart. And so the physicality, I, I, what I always tell my students is, yeah, physicality matters, but it matters the least when you're right. creating a character. So you agree with that? I definitely agree with that. And I'm, I think the the goal for me when I'm describing a character is not to describe what they look like, but describe how they make me feel. And so hmm. oftentimes I, I'm a, I'm unashamed of how much I love metaphors. <laughs> mm-hmm. And so I will often think, you know, rather than just like you mentioned eyes, rather than describe eye color, what, when you look at this person's eyes, yes. what does that make you feel? Right. And that's going to be such a more, like, what a more compelling description. It's going to stick with the reader more and give them a better sense of who this character is instead of just describing the color. And I don't mean comparing the color to something else. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, um, I th- in my most, I'm bringing this up because it is the most recent, my recent, most recent book I had described a character having eyes that made it feel like a candle at the bottom of a well. Mm. That was, that's a feeling that I get when I mm. look into this person's eyes. And that's not a, that doesn't really tell you anything about the physical description, the right. color, but it gives you a sense of, of who the character is in a way that a yes. physical descriptor never will. Right. I think, yeah, our inclination is, you know, to, to it, like uh, one thing I see people do a lot is like, he was six feet tall, you know, I'm like, Again, it sounds specific, but it's not specific no, at right. all. And so I think what we really need to do is get away from those um, police report descriptions, right? right? And get more into the operations of a person's heart, yeah. their psyche. When I think about physicality, something that is really important for me, though, is body language. I think that can tell you a whole lot about somebody, you know, how they walk or how they react physically to somebody else, something somebody else says, or, you know, I mean, if a character is sort of uh, walking very, you know, with their shoulders back and their chin up, that's very different than a character who's all slouched over and kind of hiding their face, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, body language can take so much. What are some other things that you think about? Well, I mean, it's funny that you just said that because I'm remembering a time when I was in high school and I was, I took uh, drama my senior year. And I remember feeling, I regretted that I hadn't taken it prior because it was so much fun and I, I really enjoyed it. But I remember my drama teacher, we spent at least one class, maybe more on, on character walks. And, mm, and she showed right. us the importance of, well, if you walk like this, what does that tell you? Mm-hmm. And if you walk like that, what does that tell, what does that tell the, the right. audience? And in so many ways, I do feel like writing is a lot like acting, especially with character, because you're you're really trying to get into character. You're trying to step in the shoes of someone else, and that's what an actor does. Yes. And and so, I think one of the things I used to say a lot, and I kind of said it in a way, was just like, "Oh, this sounds, you know, like a, something a serious writer would say." And and I have I have since kind of walked it back in a lot of ways, but I also think there is an element of truth to it which is that, you know, once you have found your character, it, it really it really does kind of feel more like you're letting them lead you to where they're going. Right. And especially if, if the book is character driven. Mm-hmm. Um, so I forget what the question is, but... Um, but you but, mean, what yeah. you mean by that is like, if you spend the 
proper amount of time creating the character, then the character sort of creates themselves after a certain point, right? That's right. And a, and a lot of times, you know, that's where the surprising element of a novel comes in. And we won't get into the whole whether you outline or don't uh-huh. your novel. But whether you do or not, you're you're open to the possibility of being surprised. And the way that happens, for me at least, is when a character does or says something that then makes me stop and think, oh, <laughs> this isn't what I had in, in mind. Or mm-hmm. this isn't what I had planned. But... You know, I, I've spent all this time investing in this character who now feels so real. If if they're doing or saying this thing, let me take a minute and investigate what that might mean. And and maybe it goes off in a whole other direction. But um, but yeah, maybe that's not a bad thing. Right. It's interesting that you brought up acting because I think I learned so much more about writing characters in fiction from working with the actors when I, I had plays produced mm-hmm. and like watching the exercises they did to get into character and to, to get to know each other and things like that. So that's a tip I give people a lot is, you know, if you can, if you can find those acting techniques for creating characters, they're really helpful. We are both cinemaphiles. We both love film. Do you think that your deep knowledge of film has made you a better writer of characters or dialogue or, or what? Yeah, I think for sure because um, I was having this conversation with a friend a few years ago who was not a writer of fiction, who was talking about when they read a book, um, they don't see it played out in their head. Hmm. And I was like, well, how do you read? <laughs> right. If you don't see it all, and he was explaining that process, and it was a very linear um, you know, he was a STEM guy and mm. I'm not trying to like, obviously plenty of STEM folks also can, you know, see a book in their head as they're reading <laughs> it. But, but this is just the, the kind of person he was, as he was telling me, I was like, he kind of made me realize, oh, okay. So the, that experience is so different for so many people. Yeah. And I, but I definitely do see it all kind of playing out as I'm, as I'm doing it. And I, so of course I feel like film then, um, and really TV, I mean, I feel like really good TV is, in and of itself, mm-hmm. is probably closer to uh, to a novel exactly. you know, than a movie because yeah. of the character development right. over a, however many hours, you know, yes. that you get. Um, so I do think, I, I love that part of my job is watching good film and television. I'm glad you said that yeah. because, you know, I, I post a lot like on Twitter or, or whatever about this film or this TV series mm-hmm. or something and somebody commented at me the other day, like, how, how do you possibly have this yeah. much time to watch? I'm like, because yeah. that's part of my job. Yeah. I, I'm supposed to consume this art that's right. because it makes me a better artist. Yeah. And so I'm always encouraging my students to, you know, take advantage of all the arts. You know, that's right. I, when I'm writing a novel, when I'm creating a character, whatever, I'm, I'm looking at films, I'm looking at paintings, photographs, poems, music's a big one etc so i just i think that you gotta you know writing a novel is such a incredibly hard long process Mm -hmm. you've got to do whatever it takes that's right and so you might as well lean yeah on art well in film and television there is a there's a direct correlation between seeing a, a beautiful film or watching a compelling tv show and then you know you feel that 
inspiration to go make your own stories. Right. There's a direct correlation there. But I love that you brought up music because, you know, maybe maybe music it's a little less obvious and a mm-hmm. little more indirect of a correlation between music and and writing a, a novel. But yeah, I mean, Elliot Smith is my all time favorite artist across all mediums. Mm-hmm. And he taught me that uh, an honest voice is more compelling than a pretty one. Mm. And that's something that you can apply to anything that you're, you're yeah, making. That's great. So how, how can you Did he tell say them? that or did you like translate that from his No, work? I translated that. Yeah. I, you know, I, there are, there are a number of artists that you can debate, well, could they actually sing? And I'm like, well, who cares? Yeah. <laughs> is it, a, is it an honest right. vulnerability that's like drawing you, you into the song? And, and that was what I learned from him was, it's what matters the most isn't how perfect or pretty the thing is. It's how vulnerable the thing is and how open is it? And are people drawn to it? And how can you make something that does that and has that effect? That's great. And you know, I think that word is really important to creating characters, vulnerability. I think you have to figure out what your character's vulnerability is. It's one reason that I think writing an antagonist or a villain is the hardest thing Mm -hmm. because our job is to make, characters three-dimensional and human if you make them three-dimensional or human enough then they're not bad enough you know they're not yeah you see them as too human to hate them right so who's your favorite character in literature in literature i don't i don't know that i could just blanket statement say period this is my favorite character but i have been recently reminded of of the joys of Samwise Gamgee in Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm introducing my 11 year old to the mm. to the movies. We're not, he's not at the. We we've read The Hobbit, but but you know the Lord of the Rings is a different a different beast. But the movies we've just we've been watching, and I am doing like I don't know my sixth or seventh reread of the series wow. currently. And um, you want to talk about specific and surprising? I mean. And then not only that, but also just the most loyal, the most loyal companion mm-hmm. who's just going to be there no matter what. And that resonates with me. That's his defining trait. That really, right? yeah. Loyalty, yeah. yeah. And, um, you know, I think the statute of limitations on spoilers for Lord of the Rings has, has long since passed. <laughs> yes. But, you know, at the end, he, he's been through this whole journey with his his best friend, or at least the this person that he now has come to love so dearly and he realizes he can't carry this person's burden. Mm-hmm. So he'll just carry the person. Are you kidding me? Yeah. <laughs> just yes. tears, right. you know? And I, it's funny because I would talk about how, um, Sam Gamgee would make me cry. And my kid would kind of like, really? Like, really? <laughs> like mm. from Lord of the Rings. And then we watched it. And during that scene, I don't think he would admit it, but I feel like I saw something. I feel like there was something there. He definitely, it moved him. I'll say that for sure. Yeah, that's the point. What about you? Who's your favorite character in literature? The one that I think is just perfect is Seeley from The Color Purple. Hmm. I just think the way that Alice Walker created her serves the novel so beautifully. Hmm. And... You know, she's so complex, and her defining trait is that she wants to learn, and I love that about her. Right. I think there's something really admirable in somebody that wants to learn. Yeah. And that is open to learning and has such an open heart. So I, I, she's the first one that comes to mind. Yeah. Um, you said open to learn. That reminded me of, um, well, this, the Hamilton song, uh, Looking for a Mind at Work, 
but then ultimately where that came from was this West Wing episode where really yeah because right, Lin Manuel is a big West Wing mm. fan and um, but there's a scene where Rob Lowe says something about how before he looks for anything he looks for a mind at work mm. and you're right there's something compelling about a character who is just craves knowledge right. um, and like see that. that also uh, illuminates how when you are walking through the world as an artist everything can feed your art, mm -hmm. right? Like yeah. you can get, you can create something, especially out of another art form that just because you're listening and looking and, you know, yeah. and have your antenna up. One of my favorite writing teachers is Joyce Dyer. And she says that a writer must see, hear, feel, taste, and smell like an animal does. Mm -hmm. I love that. Yeah. Because I think that's really important that, that's one way to create a great character. If you have all of your senses heightened, right. you're noticing so much stuff about people. Right. So final question. One thing I do, I usually, when I create a character, they're at least one third, totally fictional. Mm -hmm. They're about one third myself mm -hmm. and they're about one third, somebody I know mm. now. That's not the case with every character, you know, but that's sure. the average, let's okay, say. Okay. And I'm just wondering, do you use yourself? Do you use other people? Or is it all just fiction or what? Yeah. What's your ratios? I've never, yeah, I've never, I've never thought about it in terms of, of ratios like that. Um, but there is some element of truth there, I would say. I, although I would say it's more accidental. I'll, I'll realize halfway through that I've put myself in a character or that I've put somebody I know in a character. Mm -hmm. Um only twice have I put someone I know in a character on purpose. In my third book, the best friend is is one of my best friends, and then in my most recent novel, there's a, a kid who's based on my kid. Mm -hmm. And those things right. were intentional on the front end. Yeah. I'm 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 putting my these people that I know and love right. in into a character, and then yeah, I don't know. In terms of the the secondary characters, I, I guess it is more about the specific and and surprising element. But um, when it comes to main characters, definitely there ha there have been two books that I've written where I've thought, well, that main character is just me. Mm -hmm. Like that's that's just right. me. Um, and one thing I mean by that is like when I say one third myself, it's usually that I'm thinking if I was in the situation this character was in, how would I react mm, to that? Right. And that's where I come into play. I think the most, you know. Yeah. But I will say there since it comes up that I think if you're every right, if you're ever using somebody else, you know, mm -hmm. in any way, you must make sure that you're never writing out of a place of malice or revenge. Sure. You know, yeah. not only will it get you in, may, may get you in trouble, <laughs> you know, but also it just, it, it doesn't work. It doesn't yeah. make for good writing. I find that anything that you do that comes from, I mean, writing is, it's such an emptying giving process. I'm not talking about, I don't mean like what, you know, I make these books for my readers. I, I mean, the actual process of getting the words onto the page is it's, I feel like it's inherently altruistic. It's just, mm -hmm. so if you're, if there is, if there is a mean streak in there, yeah. it's going to mess it all up. Yep. It's toxic. Yeah. Yep. Well, you know, that goodness always comes through in your work and that's why people oh, you. love your writing and love your characters. So. Thank you for being with us. I'm honored to be here. Thanks for having me.
Writing Lessons is an initiative of the 2023-2025 Kentucky Poet Laureate. That's me, Silas House. I am thankful for the support of the Kentucky Arts Council, the Carnegie Center for Literacy and Learning, the Office of Governor Andy Bashir, and Kentucky Humanities. This show is written, recorded, edited, and produced by me. I hope you'll share the show with other writers, students, or anyone who is interested in the creative process. Please subscribe to our show, and if you like it, I hope you'll leave a review or a five-star rating. That will help us get the show to more people. Thanks so much for listening to Writing Lessons.